Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. To celebrate the closing day of its Dugas Cassatt exhibition, October 5, 2014, the National Gallery of Art hosted a public symposium titled Dugas and Cassatt, Different Perspectives, featuring conservators, curators, and scholars. On view beginning May 11th, the exhibition focused on how the relationship between American Mary Cassatt, 1844 to 1926, and Frenchman Edgar Degas, 1834 to 1917, influenced their artistic practices and careers. Cassatt, who had settled in Paris in 1874, first met Degas in 1877. Over the next decade, the two artists engaged in an intense dialogue, turning to each other for advice and challenging each other to experiment with materials and techniques. Both made printmaking an important aspect of their careers and for a long time collaborated on their endeavors. Their admiration and support for each other endured long after their art began to head in different directions. Degas continued to acquire Cassatt's work while she promoted his to collectors back in the United States. They remained devoted friends for 40 years until Degas' death. The third lecture of the symposium was given by Norma Browdy, Professor Emerita of Art History, American University. Thank you, and uh, thanks also, Kim, for this superb and long-overdue exhibition. Uh, It's an exhibition, of course, that takes as its premise the mutually supportive and inspirational relationship between Degas and Cassatt. Um, I will begin today by also touching briefly on what these artists shared, but in a slightly different key, with greater emphasis on their thematic tastes and a more nuanced recognition of their gender difference. Then I'd like to share with you some of my newer thinking on Degas alone, on linkages in his art uh, among women, horses, and nature. (coughs) The the show upstairs uh, begins with this provocative pairing. Uh, On the left, Cassatt's 1884 portrait of her brother Alexander with his son Robert, uh, both in their gender-appropriate black suits. Uh, Their heads nestled together as they look at the newspaper uh, in a moment of natural and intimate camaraderie. Uh, A different and more poignant relationship is depicted in Degas' earlier 1876 portrait at the right of his uncle Henri Degas, uh, an aging bachelor who had suddenly been called upon to act in loco parentis to his orphaned niece Lucy, who was Degas' cousin. Uh, The wistful child, still dressed in mourning, uh, leans tentatively on the back of the chair in which her uncle sits and reads, uh, both of them clearly making an effort to connect and to adjust to their new roles. My point here is that this particular painting by Cassatt was far more unusual for her than Degas' painting was for him. Uh, Restricted as she was by notions of propriety for a lady of her class, Cassatt rarely painted the adult male figure. And when she did, as in this case, the model was usually a member of her own family. Cassatt's reputation, as we know, was built on her culturally more appropriate depictions of mothers and children, uh, a subject that has long been a staple in the Western tradition. But the subject of fathers and children and in particular fathers and daughters, has always been an unusual one outside the realm of the formal family portrait. 
Though no less rare in the 19th century, it does appear with some frequency early on in the work of Degas, especially in the 1870s when he defied the cultural stereotypes and began to explore the nature of fathering as a role for upper-middle-class men in the modern world. Uh, here are two paintings inspired by the modern family life of his friend, the Vicomte Le Pic, showing off his two baby da daughters in the early 1870s there at the left, and at the right, the far better known painting from the mid-1870s uh, of Le Pic and his daughters as urban sophisticates in the Place de la Concorde in Paris. Uh, another group of father and child paintings was inspired in the early 70s by Degas' reunion with his old school friend Henri Rouard, whom he painted in these years, both in his public persona, the industrialist and engineer in front of his factory at the left, and also in his private role as an affectionate father, with his young daughter Hélène on his lap at the right. The landscape uh, painting in the background at the right is based on one of Rouard's own works and refers to his other identity as an artist, uh, thus showing us here two aspects of his creativity. Degas' early trailblazing of the subject of fathers and their children seems to have had deep personal meaning for him. In letters to his friends, he often expressed regret and ambivalence over not having a family of his own. Uh, saying that he envied the happiness of his married friends, but knew that their lives were not for him. More than a decade later, Dugas again painted <clears throat> Hélène, now 23 years of age, this time in her father's study. His presence clearly implied by the empty chair, uh, the papers on his desk, and the surrounding objects from his extensive art collection. These include works by Corot and Millet, and also an ancient Egyptian funerary statue. Confined in the space behind the empty chair on which he leans, Hélène joins the other objects here as an expression of her father's identity and accomplishments. In the mid-90s, Degas painted this unsparing but empathetic portrait of his friend Rouard, this time with his son Alexis. The unusually low placement of the now older man in the picture space poignantly conveys his diminishing physical powers. It was around this time, too, in the mid-90s, that Degas wrote pointedly, and not without a tinge of envy to Henri, about the latter's growing family. So here is your posterity on the march, he writes. You will be blessed, O righteous man in your children and your children's children. I am meditating on the state of celibacy, and a good three-quarters of what I tell myself is sad. Scholars talk about Degas' preoccupation with death in works like these, but portraits of his older friends and their offspring are not just expressions of an aging artist's preoccupation with approaching death but rather, and more centrally, I contend, a rumination on posterity, a rumination on art and nature and on what we leave behind. This preoccupation with progeny and posterity can shed new light, I think, on 
the deeper meanings for Degas of another piece that is prominently featured in this exhibition, Mary Cassatt in the Etruscan Gallery at the Louvre. The object of Cassatt's gaze here is the famous Etruscan sarcophagus uh, that had recently been acquired by the Louvre and known as the sarcophagus of a married couple. At the right, as we've already seen today, Degas' study of that sarcophagus, uh, a small drawing probably done on site. Cassatt stands before the reclining couple, uh, leaning assertively on her umbrella, and note a masculine umbrella and not a feminine parasol. Um, the line of her back, the tilt of her head, uh, all expressing her active interest and curiosity as she regards this risque scene of a couple from ancient times who recline here in effigy in each other's embrace for all eternity. Uh, considering the potential impropriety of such a scene for a lady visitor, there was perhaps an element of wicked playfulness here on Degas' part when he chose this sarcophagus as the object of Mary Cassatt's direct gaze, uh, a gaze so different from the furtive and disguised gaze of her sister Lydia, who sits sheltered more modestly behind her guidebook at the left. But it is an image that is both playful and very serious at the same time. For by choosing the Etruscan tomb of the married couple as the focus for this image, Degas has confronted Cassatt, who, like himself, was a maritally single and single-minded artist. He has confronted her with a classic statement of the coupling that she, like Degas, had declined. Uh, what Cassatt and, by implication, Degas are both contemplating here is not death per se, but for the artist the much larger question of posterity and where it lies. Uh, the choice, we might say, between art and nature, with nature construed in this instance as human coupling. This is a dilemma that Degas clearly saw as being relevant for himself, but also, I think, this image suggests to us he saw its relevance for Mary Cassatt as well. Another featured work in the show is Cassatt's Woman and Girl Driving of 1881. Uh, this is a remarkable image of an upper-middle-class woman who is driving an open carriage. She sits assertively, but we sense also not without some tension and trepidation in the driver's seat, uh, because this is a position that departs both literally and figuratively from the normal social order of things, and it may even carry with it a veiled challenge to that social order. While not unusual for Cassatt as an image of a middle-class woman who tests and negotiates her shifting parameters in the modern world, it is unusual as a rare reference in her work to the horse, which was, of course, a major subject for Degas. And you see the horse there just barely visible um, at the far left. Although Cassatt was considered to be a horsewoman of some distinction, she did not paint horses. And Degas never chose to paint her on horseback. Much of uh, his work, however, is devoted to male jockeys and horses at the racetrack, where uh, women will occasionally appear 
as generalized observers as there at the right. But uh, Degas had relatively little interest in the social spectacle of the racetrack. And images that juxtapose women and horses are relatively uncommon in his work. When they do occur, however, they depart radically from earlier norms, and they present important guideposts to Degas' evolving awareness of the horse's status, the horse's gendered status in 19th century culture. My developing thoughts on this subject have been stimulated in particular by this amazing large-scale pastel by Degas from the museum in Lausanne, Switzerland. It's a late work dating around 1904, and it presents an unusual juxtaposition of washerwomen and horses in an indeterminate setting. These horses are not elegant racing horses. They have the muscular backs, uh, powerful hindquarters, and docked tails of working animals uh, of the sort that were used in farming and transport. The two women have prototypes in an earlier oil painting by Degas, uh, his laundresses carrying linen in town from the Fourth Impressionist exhibition of 1879. In this later and much larger pastel, they are no longer in isolation, but as you can see, they are nestled between these two large horses in a complex, unusually intimate, and mutually supportive relationship. The washerwoman at the left, um, her back turned toward us, has lifted her left hand as if to scrub, or perhaps with her lightly clenched fingers, uh, to cleanse a wound or to inscribe a meaningful mark on the flank of one of these horses. The other woman carries a heavy laundry basket over one arm, but leans backward against the weight of the basket to nestle her head and shoulder into the neck and chest of the second horse. And you'll notice that the neck contour of that horse has been drawn back by Degas to accommodate that gesture and its chest and leg are pulled forward so that its body protectively encircles and supports the washerwoman. This unprecedented image has defied interpretation in the literature, where it has been described as a purely artistic encounter, uh, a, late light, uh, a late life effort on Degas' part to monumentalize two of his familiar motif types. The relationship between the horses and the women has even been seen by some as a threatening one. Richard Thompson's undeveloped suggestion that the horses act as a metaphor for the laboring laundresses is, I think, far more to the point. For what these two seemingly unrelated groups do have most clearly in common is the issue of labor, but also, I would add, its exploitation in a gendered social order. Analogies between women and horses, which foreground their shared subjection to domination and abuse, were long-standing ones in many aspects of 19th century French culture. Like horses, uh, women were regarded as creatures to be 
trained, broken, and rendered obedient. Uh, a correlation made graphically and compellingly clear by this plate from Honoré Daumier's popular series of lithographs from the 1840s, which caricature the manners and foibles of les bons bourgeois, uh, and examples of which Degas himself collected. This one features two men at the races uh, who are watching a steeplechase being run in the distance. Uh, and uh, as they do so, they converse and compare the discipline of horses to the discipline of women. Uh, according to the caption in translation, uh, one man says, to think that this is the way they improve horses by flogging them hard with whips. And the other man replies, I must try this to improve my wife. And uh, also in the language of the pornographic novels of the period, as Whitney Chadwick long ago pointed out, women are broken to the bit, saddled, bridled, and whipped into submission. Uh, attitudes and images, which as you can see, were deeply embedded in the culture. Working women and horses um, first make their joint appearance in a few of Degas' paintings of contemporary life in the uh, later 1860s and early 1870s. And here, Mademoiselle Fiocre in the ballet La Source, uh, a celebrity portrait of a famous dancer in her normal working milieu. The painting presents a pause during a rehearsal for the first scene of this popular ballet, which opened in Paris in 1866, and in which live horses appeared. Its star, Eugénie Fiocre, uh, sits at rest, leaning her head on her hand, while the horse beside her bends its head to drink from the pool. The quiet detachment of the scene, uh, which is utterly lacking in theatricality, was very puzzling to contemporary observers. Uh, among them, Emile Zola, who wrote that the painting might better have been entitled A Pause by the Water's Edge. And the caricaturist, Bertal, who reinvented the women in the scene as laundresses, uh, arriving at the water's edge, according to the caption, only to notice that they have forgotten their laundry, which, <laughs> which for them and their horse is a source of amazement. Um, you'll notice that Bertal also transformed the single horse in Degas' painting into two heraldic steeds uh, that stand at attention as the laundresses kneel among them. One must wonder, of course, what role the sublimated memory of this critique of his early work, uh, with its unusual combination of horses and washerwomen, uh, what role it might have played for Degas in his own later juxtaposition of those motifs. The issue of women, horses, and labor emerges more pointedly in this genre scene painted by Degas uh, around 1869 to 72, carriage leaving the races in the countryside. Uh, it's a reminiscence of his visit in the summer of 1869 with the family of his old friend Paul Valpinson in Normandy. Uh, it depicts a family outing to a nearby provincial racetrack with the couple pausing to watch not the race, but the wet nurse who is tending to their newborn son in their stationary carriage. 
It seems like an uncomplicated image of upper-middle-class leisure and domestic harmony, but the scene can also be read as a display of the labor that sustains such middle-class leisure. The labor of the jockeys racing in the distance and the wet nurse, a working woman of the 19th century who is shown literally at work nursing her charge. To this, I would now add the equally enforced labor of the animals, who represent humans' mastery over the natural world. The different degrees of servitude enacted by the racing horses in the background and the harnessed and blinkered horses drawing the carriage in the foreground, uh, both observed by the domesticated dog who sits on the carriage rail. It is unlikely, I should say at this point, that Degas then regarded the scene depicted here in the terms I've just applied, uh, because he was apparently very attached to this painting, which summoned up for him pleasant memories of his sojourns in the country with his friends. But his awareness of horses as sentient and suffering creatures had already manifested itself in a major painting begun in the 1860s, the gallery's scene from the steeplechase, The Fallen Jockey. And this awareness would grow demonstrably over the next decades. While critical attention has focused on the tragic demise of the fallen jockey, Degas over life-size painting shines a dramatic spotlight on the dangers faced not only by the riders, but also by the horses uh, engaged in this violent and increasingly popular sport. The two riderless horses whose bodies stretch in a dramatic diagonal across the picture plane are major protagonists in this scene, and their psychological affect is central to its expressive content. In a painting that is in large part about the complex dynamic between man and nature, Degas conveys the distress of these two horses, uh, the fear and confusion, as well as the exhilaration that accompany their sudden and temporary release from human control. We might say, in fact, that his characterization of them is far more psychologically penetrating and complex than that of the human actors, who ride on here undaunted and unaffected by the demise of their fallen competitor. The cliché of Degas' distaste for nature is belied by what we now know, um, thanks to the work of Richard Kendall, uh, what we now know about his lifelong engagement with landscape but also, and just as centrally, I believe, by his devotion to the study of horses. Degas' profound interest in the natural world is reflected in his extensive practice of making sketches of horses from life. Uh, this is a practice that first appears in his early notebooks, and it continues throughout his career. These quick sketches of horses, studied in whole or in part, uh, with a focus on heads, hindquarters, and other expressive details of anatomy. Um, these sketches uh, and uh, these subjects uh, also appear in individual drawings, uh, such as the ones I'm showing you here. They are best understood, I believe, as equivalents of Degas' lifelong search 
for expressive bodily gestures and physiognomies in his human subjects, as had been prescribed by Edmund Duranty, uh, which Degas here extends to horses and their temperaments. The study of horses afforded Degas one of his closest contacts with nature throughout his career. And his empathy for them, both out in nature and in the modern world, is clearly conveyed from those riderless runaway horses of the early steeplechase onward. Uh, another telling work, also from the gallery's collection, is Horses in a Meadow, a painting of 1871. It features two horses, which have, again, the muscular bodies of working rather than racing animals. They are shown in intimate relationship to one another, probably in the act of grooming, and they appear as though in a moment of rest and embrace in the field. This, I would stress, is an unusual image in Degas' work, where physical contact, or rather the lack of it, may be thought of as an issue and where human figures rarely, if ever, are seen to touch or embrace. Another compelling image an image that speaks of Degas' concern for the horse in the modern world is the perhaps misnamed Two Studies of a Groom around 1878. Uh, central here is the clearly displayed suffering of the large horse being brutalized by its bowler-hatted rider with its neck jerked back at a sharp angle and its teeth bared. Degas' empathetic engagement with the horse also emerges from the evidence of later letters and sonnets as well as the earlier notebooks and drawings. Uh, noteworthy is a group of letters written in the fall of 1890 uh, during a trip he took through Burgundy with his friend, the sculptor Bartolome. Um, they were driving in a, in a small two-wheeled carriage, and they were pulled by a white horse, uh, about whom Degas comments with almost as much frequency as he does his two-legged traveling companion. Uh, in daily postcards to his friends, he speaks with affection about the horse, expressing interest in its personality, respect for its intelligence, and concern for its eating habits and its general well-being. In one, he even finds the horse's leg bath in the River Seine uh, worthy of a report. In 1889, Degas gave voice to his particular concern for the fate of the racehorse in the modern world, uh, a world in which a once classical sport had become a mass entertainment driven by gambling and greed. In his sonnet, Pure Bread, he describes the brave colt, put through his paces at dawn and his impending destiny. He returns home for oats, Degas writes. He is ready. Now, all at once, the gambler grabs him. And for the various games where he's used for gain, he's forced onto the field for his debut as a thief, all nervously naked in his dress of silk. Degas' personal identification with the racehorse in these terms as a victim of the greedy marketplace is documented. 
Uh, later in life, when told of the extraordinary prices that his earlier ballet uh, paintings were fetching at auction, he replied, I am like the horse who wins the Grand Prix and who has only his bag of oats. Uh, implicit here, I think, is a parallel, a parallel between the art market player and the racetrack gambler of Degas's sonnet, uh, both of whom commodify creative accomplishment for monetary gain. Though Degas was not in any political sense an animal rights advocate, he was a man who did not hesitate to declare his affection for animals. And in the case of racehorses in particular, he had developed an empathetic sensitivity to their temperaments and feelings, as expressed in the physical gestures and bodily grimaces that he had studied repeatedly in his drawings, paintings, and wax studies of them over a lifetime. For him, the plight of the racehorse bore analogies to the condition of the artist and perhaps as well to feminized performers of either sex who were culturally gendered in a positivist and market-driven economy, forced to perform, to quote again from the sonnet, all nervously naked in his dress of silk. In a culture that was rife with gendered stereotypes and parallels, uh, parallels between women and horses as subjects of exploitation and abuse. Uh, this was an analogy easily extended to female labor in general. And it arose, perhaps unconsciously and metaphorically, to be given visual form by Degas in this seemingly enigmatic late work in which he poignantly juxtaposed workhorses and laundresses. The pervasive gendering of art and nature in the 19th century and Degas' grasp, whether conscious or intuitive, of its far-reaching effects on modern life, this, I believe, can provide us with new paths of entry into his work, and it can give unexpected unity to his selective fascination with themes and subjects as seemingly disparate as racehorses, singers, musicians, milliners, laundresses, and, of course, ballet dancers. Laborers all, whose work, like his own, was feminized and exploited by a gendered social order and by the systems of the modern market. I thank you. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast. 